Hey, everyone. So two quick things. First, my Facebook group page for The Suzanne Venker Show is back up. I'd been using that page for something else, but I have since moved it back to a private page just for listeners of The Suzanne Venker Show. I want a place where you all can talk with each other and where I can chime in periodically with questions and comments myself. So be aware that if you're itching to talk about the things you're hearing on this program, there is now a place to do that. Just go to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Suzanne's group. And if for some reason that doesn't work, just try going to Facebook and typing in the Suzanne Banker show and hopefully it will come right up and then click on join. Okay. Secondly, when was the last time you took a hot second to write a review of this podcast? I get super sad when I check it periodically and no one's written anything in like a week. I just wanted to tell you how much those reviews mean to me and to the algorithms too. Pretty sure the more reviews there are, the more the show will appear in other people's um, feeds and whatnot. So if you think you'll forget, like I know I probably would, keep in mind you can pause this program right now and do it and you won't miss a thing when you come back. We'll still be here in the same spot. That's my favorite thing about podcasts. They're like DVR, which is so awesome. Okay, on with the show. From the magnificent Midwest, it's the Suzanne Venker Show, where men and women are equal in value, but wildly different by nature. Join us here every week as we challenge the culture's hugely flawed narratives about men, women, sex, and love. From coast to coast and from around the world, thank you for joining us. So I'm going to talk about how to keep the spark alive in a long marriage. I don't think there's a married couple on the planet who doesn't have to contend with the fact that life just gets in the way of having an ideal sex life. I mean, let's face it, many events that occur are out of our control and often derail our desire. Babies come along, family members die, careers shift or stall, or in some cases become all too consuming where couples rarely see each other. That's a big problem. And while some couples may be content to just be more like roommates or friends, from my experience, it's a rare couple who both want that. Usually there's one person who wants sex more than the other person, and that person is typically the husband, although not always, but most of the time. I have a running joke that on these intake forms that I receive from folks who reach out for coaching, if I get if I get an intake form, you know, there's a, you know, you answer a few questions about yourself. And then at the end, it has two questions about your relationship and what's frustrating you and what you want to be different. And when I get one from a woman or a wife or just a woman, doesn't have to be a wife. It's this long drawn out you know, description of what's going on, which, in, which is fine. This is what I want. Um, and then I get the ones from the men, more sex. Literally, I kid you not. That's just that's been going on for years and I laugh every time. How could I not? I mean, it's such a perfect um, manifestation or proof of what I'm saying about the differences between women and men. So if you and your spouse both want a better sex life, I 100% believe you can have it. It's rarely a matter of whether or not you can, but of what you're willing to do. 
or to do about it specifically. And ideally, both of you are on board. Um, you know, it's, it's possible with that one person can make change in this regard. But what I want to do for the purpose of this episode, because I've had people reach out and ask me to do an episode on this very subject, is to go over a couple of basics. And then I want to end by speaking to really to husbands and wives about what turns the other sex on and off on a, um, you know, biological level, you know, right, right, right down to their root where they can't even help it, but respond. Some things turn people off and some, and some things turn them on. And it's not a faucet that they have control over. Um, so we're going to get to that, but first I want to talk about this with some, just basic generalities. So I often tell couples to begin with accepting the death of having a spontaneous sex life. And this can be super hard because women in particular, but I'm sure some men, I'm just going to speak for women since I am a woman and I know women really well. I mean, the sex life part, the sex part, you know, the body. Um, so I won't claim to speak for men entirely although I'll, you know, make some, some blanket statements. Um, this, the spontaneous sex life is much more fun than, you know, a planned one. But the reality is there's married life pre-kid to life after kids come along and all of the things that occur, which we call life over a long period of time that are going to invariably change the sexual relationship that you had at the beginning. I mean, this is just common sense. There isn't anyone who's not experiencing this. I don't care what they say. I don't mean that, you know, you invariably end up with a bad sex life. I'm just saying that the, the whole thing changes dramatically and nobody wants to talk about it because everybody wants everybody to think everyone's hanging from the chandelier, but hello, that's not reality. So that doesn't mean that there aren't things that you can do to, as I say, keep that spark alive. So begin by accepting that you're probably not going to have spontaneous sex the way you did at the beginning. When you think about being in a house with no kids inside <laughs> compared to after, I mean, there are endless opportunities to um, be however you want to be in that regard. Uh, nothing standing in your way and there's no distraction, and there's nobody watching you. This is why the idea of an empty nest life is, um, it very much mirrors that once the kids are gone. Um, but it takes a long time to get to that point, so we can't just uh, focus on that. Okay, so think about that. Um, you just have to get comfortable that it's not going to be the way it was. So once you accept that that's just reality, Get comfortable scheduling sex or at least creating an environment that's conducive to your wanting to have it. So I'm often telling people, instead of waiting until you feel like having sex, which for some people, depending on your age and what's going on in your life, you may not feel it. Um, have sex to create the feeling you're looking for, which for most of us is to feel softer toward our spouse or closer 
as opposed to, you know, so far apart or being more like roommates. And that, so that's option. That's just one way of looking at it is to not wait until you feel like it. You, you just got to stop that and just, just do it. I mean, there is something to be said for that, um, that Nike slogan, just do it. Stop thinking so much about it. Just do it. But also keep in mind that if you're uncomfortable talking about sex, you're probably uncomfortable having sex. You have to be able to say what you want or need. So if you're holding back or if sex is an awkward experience for some reason or an awkward conversation, you have to face that because it isn't fair to your spouse to ignore that or to pretend it away. There is help out there for all kinds of problems related to sex. And there's different, you know, there's different reasons for why people are uncomfortable, but avoiding it, avoiding talking about it certainly isn't going to make things any better. It's going to make them worse. So I wanted to just sort of get that out of the way in case that applies to anybody listening. But the main thing to focus on and to know is how wildly different men and women are in this regard, which all of, all of those of us who've all been married for eons know this to be true. And this is why sex can be such a problem. So I'm going to start by asking any man listening, and I'm going to ask the women listening something different or no, actually something similar. So for the men, what do you think the sexiest thing you can say to your wife is? I'm going to give everybody a moment there to think about that. It's not really that um, creative. It's actually pretty simple, but it might surprise you. Saying, I'll take care of that. Or any similar statement in which you've been completely clear. In other words, she is ultimately looking for you to be her rock or to be in command of things so that it's not always on her. So it's sexy for her to hear you being super clear and making declarative statements such as, I'll take care of it. I'll do that at two o'clock. Um, can't do that now, but I'll do it tonight. Anything that isn't Anything that isn't clear is not sexy. That's the sexiest thing you can say to your wife. I'm sorry, I should say, I shouldn't say that's not the thing you can say. That's the sexiest um, energy you can exude to your wife. So now if you're a woman listening, guess what the sexiest thing you can say to your husband is? Whatever you think. Or any similar statement in which you agree or acquiesce or essentially just say yes instead of no. Because arguing is a libido killer for him. Openness, receptivity, ability, and the ability to receive is a turn on. So when you say whatever you think, you're basically saying, I trust you. When you argue, he immediately will get tense inside. He's not interested. It's not a turn on. It's a turn off. 
He's not going to come toward you when you fight, but he's going to become putting your hands when you receive, when you're open, when you're receptive. So these things work just as well in a long marriage as they did when you and your spouse first got together. And when you think about that, those were things that were more easily said, or that was an energy that was more easily conveyed early on before life set in, because that's probably how the two of you got together. There was a lot of that naturally going on because we're always in our best behavior and we kind of, I don't know, I think instinctively know what makes the other person, you know, turned on. So what's interesting is that the biology, the biology doesn't change. We do. Life gets in the way and we're not behaving in the way that's making the other person come toward us or want to come toward us. So I've compiled a list of the major things that I see and hear about in coaching that undermine a couple's sex life. I'm convinced that couples today struggle so much because they don't know how to embrace these, embrace how different men and women are in this, in this regard, in this, in this, um, well, of course, in a lot of ways, but in this one department, sex, the main thing that I see is that, that, that men and women struggle with is that men need to recognize that women cannot get aroused or into it at the drop of a hat the way they can. Women need to be romanced or warmed up, if you want to put it that way, which doesn't mean that a husband has to take his wife out for a candlelight dinner every time he wants to have sex. It just means some sort of attempt to recreate the environment that originally allowed or that you've seen allowed your wife to relax, whatever that was. And, you know, most husbands, if they stop and think about it, can remember a time, if even if it wasn't recent, when his wife was more open or receptive or relaxed. So whatever that is that you employed to, you know, set the stage to allow that to happen, that's what you keep doing. So what might that look like? I mean, that could look like um, turning off the lights and dancing with her. It could be um, stopping everything you're doing, really listening, looking at her, smiling, not being put off by anything she says, and being that rock so that she softens. And that's what I mean by creating an environment. I don't necessarily mean you know, lighting candles and putting on soft music, which that's great. That works for me. <laughs> but, um, you know, that's not always realistic, depending on, again, what stage of life you're in. We could do that now, my husband and I, but um, certainly couldn't have done that. And, you know, we have little kids at home. So you just have to, it's not always the physicality of the environment, but the way you are being with her. And Okay, for their part, women need to recognize that men don't need a perfect mood setting and they can generally have sex at the drop of a hat. So just as husbands will occasionally need to go out of their way to set the stage for sex, wives will sometimes need to have sex when they don't initially feel like it. And that's how you recognize each other's needs and build them into the way you live. 
You know, it's a compromise. You're recognizing, hey, I don't need this, but I need that. And, or, or you don't need this, but I need that. So let's, you know, I'll speak to you and you speak, you speak my language, I'll speak your language, that kind of thing. And that's a way of, of meeting in the middle. Okay, so the following list that I'm going to talk about represent, represents universal desires, or at least they're common enough that they come up over and over again in my coaching sessions. I'm going to start with the things that turn women off and on, and then I'm going to go to the things that turn men off and on. And if you are a husband listening to this or a wife, I know for a fact that when it's over, you're going to want to send her this or him this <laughs> so that I can be the person to tell them. <laughs> okay, women, what turns them off? What makes them move away from you? Being conflict avoidant. Oh, by the way, these aren't in any particular order. I'm just, I just listed them. No order whatsoever. Conflict avoidant. If you're not somebody who can handle, if you're not a man who can handle conflict, she's going to struggle. She's going to struggle to come toward you in that way that you want her to. Um, the way that she likely did once upon a time, if it's been a long time, I know for some people, or maybe... You know, your sex life is fine, but it's not really what you want it to be. I'm saying the more you are like this, the it doesn't necessarily mean you're not having sex, but it's not probably what you are looking for. So I'm just listing those things, okay? Being conflict avoidant is a big one. I recognize that a lot of people, both men and women, struggle with this. Um, but I'm just speaking strictly to husbands for this moment, and I'm saying... Your ability to dive into conflict and deal with a problem and have a structure or a plan for getting out of it and not being afraid of it, including whatever you need to hear that may not paint you in a good light. Because sometimes when you deal with conflict, you have to be able to hear things about yourself that you, you know, would rather not look at. Your ability to go into that and embrace it is, is super sexy. If you're avoiding it, that's not sexy. So that's number one. Number two, anger. Anger. This is actually a super big problem today. And it tends to be more in men than in women. Um, there's just a lot of anger. A lot of anger. I've seen it. And that is a real libido killer for her. There's nothing... Um, that's going to draw a woman toward you if you're angry. That's pretty self-explanatory. There's really nothing else to say. Three, defensive. Defensiveness is, I, I mean, as I said, I didn't put these in any order, but if I were to put them in order, I would put that at the top. Being defensive kind of goes along with being conflict avoidant because if you're defensive, it means you can't handle or hear the hard things. And so you reject it and you put it back. And that gives a woman a feeling of feeling like being stuck. Like if you can't hear this um, and admit 
this and you're going to defend yourself instead, then that person feels stuck and it will not be open. And when you feel stuck, like there's no way to fix it, you're not going to be open and receptive. There's no way. Your body will just kind of shut down. So defensiveness is a huge one. And I know that a lot of husbands in particular struggle with that. And this isn't, this episode today is not going to fix all of this. This is what coaching is for. I'm just, I'm just laying out some very basic um, truths about what turns men and women off and on. I can't solve everybody's individual issue right here, but anyway, number four, being passive or tentative. That means being unclear. I kind of mentioned this before, or not having an opinion about something or waiting for permission instead of just deciding. There's so many things that uh, underlie the, the, the phrase or the term passivity or passive, but that is not a turn on. This is something that I know that the younger generation struggles with big time because they are reaping, not reaping, they are the generation that was raised on this idea that masculinity is toxic. And so they're trying to go overboard and be not what they think is an asshole, basically, but that's not it. They're just misinformed on that. So instead they step back and they're very passive and that is pushing their woman away. That's not going to make her come toward you. Because again, going back to that initial comment about her wanting you to be her rock. And when you're passive or unclear, or you're not sure, or you ask for permission, that's not a rock. That's, I need you to direct my traffic. I need you to tell me what to do. And that's not sexy. And then the last one is drunk. Being drunk. There's nothing, I, I mean, I've had conversations with some friends who have been like, yeah, my husband knows if he's coming home drunk, don't be coming on to me. You know, that's not going to work at all. And that's true. You cannot, no, that does not work at all. There's nothing sexy about being slobbered on over whatever the things that come out when you're drunk. You don't feel, um, that doesn't make a woman feel receptive. Okay, so then what's, what turns them on? What brings them toward you? Well, it's the opposite of all those things. Being confident, being bold and decisive, right? Not looking for permission, but just deciding. Um, ambitious, being healthy and strong. Being honest about what you think and feel as opposed to telling her what she wants to hear. That's a big one. Or saying one thing and doing another. Like, I'll do that and then you don't. I mean, that's passive aggressive. Just say what, Just say yes or no yes, I'll do that. Or no, I can't do that now, but I'll do that later or not. No, actually don't say later, give a time, a day and a time, um, or some sort of something as opposed to just this nothing answer. That's really super, um, difficult for her to, um, you know, again, we're looking for her to, I know what you want. You want her to be soft and receptive and open and sweet and gentle and kind and um, all of those things. And I'm, and that's why I'm doing this. I'm telling you that's what will bring her toward you. And those other things are not. And again, 
you can hear it and then doing it are two different things for sure. Um, but I'm just starting with what works and what doesn't work. Okay. Now I'm going to go to, to women. What turns men off versus on. Okay. I bet everyone knows what I'm going to say <laughs> for the number one. Being a nag. Being like a mother rather than a wife. That's the biggest. Um, if he feel, and again, you know, women aren't realizing that they're doing this when they're doing it, or they're not thinking about it in the moment, but it's because the nagging sets up immediately a mother son dynamic that you don't want. I know you don't want, nobody wants it and nobody means to do it that way. Um, and you're not going to go through, you know, 50 years of marriage or 40 or 30 or 20, uh, without, you know, nagging at some point, obviously. But I'm saying every time you do that, that's pushing him away. That's not appealing at all. And you are setting up the dynamic yourself of, um, being more like his mother than his wife. And so that's not sexy. Being critical, overly critical and not having anything nice to say, but just constantly criticizing. Um, I forgot who, I think it was John Gottman who said that there should be one criticism for like five positive affirmations or something like that. I may have that number wrong, but you get the gist of it. Um, one should greatly outweigh the other. Being a complainer, complaining a lot, you know, <laughs> as opposed to uplifting and happy and um, looking on the positive side and all of that, which, you know, doesn't mean you have to be like a Pollyanna, but just, just cut back on the complaining. That's all I'm saying. The more you complain, the less of a turn on it is. And then um, being argumentative or disagreeable, which I've referenced before. That's a big one. And then it's, it's different from being a nag. A nag is just like, do this, do that. Why haven't you done this? Yada, yada, yada. Argumentative is he throws something out and you argue with it. No, that's not the way it is. That's not true. I think this, you know, or just being just generally disagreeable. Um, those are, those are big turnoffs. Uh, letting yourself go physically. Um, that's another one you want to, because men are so much more visual than women, although this can go both ways for sure. hundred percent. Um, but looking good and it makes a statement to the other person that the other person is still worth your, you know, effort, but being, so then the opposite of those things is what's going to turn a man on being smiley, happy, agreeable, saying yes instead of no, not criticizing, not being an ag, um, lots of positive affirmation. So basically just the opposite. And okay, so those, so that's, those, that's the list that I came up with for each sex that are kind of, I'm sure there's more, but those are the biggest that give each sex something to focus on specifically for themselves that they know, Hey, this works. This doesn't work. This is what is, this is what I should do. This isn't what I should do. And gives you some guidelines for what the other sex is really looking for. And the one thing you don't want 
is resentment. That will be the death now of your sex life. And so in addition to just being aware of the things that turn the opposite sex on and off, in addition to that, you need to be super aware of the feelings of resentment and how much that will keep your sex life from functioning smoothly. And that when you think about it, it makes perfect sense because back at the beginning of your relationship, of course, you didn't, you hadn't accrued any resentment yet. Not much had happened. So obviously it was much more easy to be trusting or open and then things happen. So in terms of, you know, it's one thing to understand how the other sex thinks and what turns him or her on and off. But there's also this other aspect to this for a couple's sex life over the long haul. And that is the things that cause resentment. And this is for both sexes. Not, it's not sex specific. One is not feeling heard. That's a big one. Not listening. And I think, I think listening is a skill. And I, it's hard. You know, it's super hard when emotions are heightened. You almost have to do your own sort of deep breaths when you're in the middle of a, some sort of conflict. Um, and, and practice the art of listening, which is super, super hard. But the more quiet you are, and this is, again, I'm going to stress this again, this is not sex specific. This is for both husbands and wives. The more you listen without responding, the better your relationship's going to be. These, this is an exa- these are examples of things that cause resentment, and I'm trying to help you avoid that. So I'm saying listening and the ability to listen is one of them. Feeling like you have to do everything yourself. You don't want to put the other person in the position of feeling like they're doing everything. Now, you're, you'll hear this mostly with women or wives. Um, it's not as typical that men will say, I feel like I have to do everything by myself. <laughs> in fact, just the thought of that is kind of funny because that's not typically uh, their experiences um, or their experience. But if you feel that you are doing everything yourself or that it's top heavy, and let's just assume you're the wife, you, you have to express this ASAP, like the moment you're feeling it. And, you know, one of the best things you can do early on in your marriage is to get the sort of rules for order in place, you know, and um, setting those things up about what your expectations are and what your roles and responsibilities are going to be, because you can save yourself years of headache if you are in agreement on that. Um, And the moment you feel like it's not, you know, equal or even is not a word I'm going to use, but too top heavy, you know, rather than coming at it with a, you never this, you, you know, it's, this is how I'm feeling. How can we fix it? And then it's up to the other person to help figure that out rather than just say, well, that's your problem. I don't know what to say. You should never be saying that. Nobody should be saying that to anybody, to any spouse. If there's a problem, if one person has the problem, it's both people's problem because you're married. There's no way to avoid the problem if the other person has the problem. So that's something that also often causes resentment because you think, well, I don't have the problem. They do. Yes, you do. Just like the money thing, you know, there's no his and hers money. There's our money. There's no his and her problem. It's our problem. 
being unwilling to have hard conversations or not being communicative. Again, going back to that conflict avoidance. If that's going to, that's just going to cause massive, massive, massive resentment. And it's going to absolutely come out in the bedroom. No question about it. You have to be able to talk about anything and everything under the sun with your spouse. There's nothing that's going to bring you closer than knowing that you can say whatever you want and that person is not going anywhere or he's not, he or she isn't going to love you less or hold it against you or, um, whatever, whatever people do. Um, that's probably the biggest, I'd say that's bigger than anything else. And then not feeling prioritized. That's another big one. Overwork or your friend or your, your spouse's friends, their family of origin, social media. There's, there's lots of ways that the spouse might not feel prioritized as though the other person's not putting forth the effort that he or she used to. And that is going to cause massive resentment. So all of these things are examples of, there's no way to have um, a sex life, a good sex life, I should say, um, with those things in place. So resentment is a huge piece of the whole sex picture. It's not just knowing the differences between women and men, although, I mean, they're both equally big, but resentment is just huge. So I didn't want to close out this episode without, you know, discussing that. But at the end of the day, what I want to say to men and women is this. For men, do not underestimate the power of romance. Do not underestimate it. Um, you can recreate. I believe this. I believe that if you had it once, if you and your spouse had it once, you can have it again. You just need to set the stage. And it's up to the guy to really do that just the same way you did way back when. It was really typically the man who's putting forth the, you know, who's setting the stage and women soak that crap up. I shouldn't say crap. It's not crap. It's not crap at all. It's wonderful. And it's just, that's how you're going to get her to be soft is that is tap into that romantic streak. Cause it's in there. It's in there. So that's, that's for the men. And then for women do not underestimate the power of sex. <laughs> You see how these things go. Ideally, they go together and it's sort of like a chicken or egg. Well, which is going to go first? I mean, presumably the romance comes first and the sex. But again, not always. Sometimes you'll reverse those and you'll feel closer once you've had sex. So hopefully over the course of time, you know, you can have both scenarios as best as you can. Um, it's not always going to be, quote unquote, equal. And it's not gonna always going to look the same and go the same way every time, obviously. But I mean, there isn't a wife listening to this who has not seen the difference in her husband after sex from before. It's that powerful. And I would also argue that the opposite is true. Um, but for women, it's less about, I mean, there's just, less, I shouldn't say it's less about, there's more to the equation than just the sex. That's what I'm trying to say. And to me, it's that romantic piece that's going to get her every time. That's what's going to soften her. Whereas for a man, you can be romantic, but it's not until hmm, after the fact that he's going to soften. And all of a sudden he's going to want to, you know, he's just going to soften after. 
And for women, not necessarily. It's really that romantic piece. So that's really the takeaway for this. Um, with this, I hope that that's helpful. Again, I know this is a huge subject and not something that, you know, can be resolved in a podcast episode, but hopefully it's helpful to some degree. And that ends this hour of the Suzanne Venker show. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and to leave us a review as well as share this episode with a friend. As always, you may reach me with any questions or comments at Suzanne at the Suzanne And if you would like to support this podcast, which would be very much appreciated, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash the Suzanne Venker show. Thanks everyone. Have a good week.